heart say amen 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 god bless you guys thank you so much all right so um this uh this week we are we are in uh week number two of our contact series but before we dive into that i want to see how astute you are to see if you've still uh, been paying attention our theme for the year is called so look at y'all there's one gold star let's see if you can still get another one the s stands for the story of god the o stands for and the w Oh, man, give yourselves a hand. Cool, cool, cool. It's like three of y'all clapping. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so we are in a series or, or this thing for this year that we are calling So. And what we believe is this. Here's how we grow, not numerically, but here's how we grow spiritually and deeper in God is we learn the story of God. We study the scriptures and we see what and who God is. The S then leads to, the story of God leads to, it transforms our outlook. And our outlook then impacts our witness. What we say about God and believe about God determines how we look at humanity and how we deal with other people. And so, so is our series. And what we've tried to do is to be very intentional about how we are approaching that very theme. And so this series that we're in, week number two now, is called Contact. Contact. And if there were a, a, a thesis for the, the series, this is basically what it would see. See if it connects anyhow, right? When we come in contact with God's character, our outlook is forever changed. When we come in contact with God's character, our outlook is forever changed. And 
today, brothers and sisters, we are looking at in Job's story, we're going to see how Job came in contact with God, and when he came in contact with God's character, how it changed Job's impact or outlook forever, forever. And so if you have your Bibles, I ask that you open them up to the book of Job, chapter 42, and we're just going to read the first six verses of that scripture, Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to be reading from the New International Version, so if you are got your device or whatever may be you can flip to that and you'll know exactly what we are going through Job 42 uh, then it's available for you on the screen and this is what you'll see then Job replied to the Lord I know that you can Now, do me a favor. Can we, as a family, as a body, can you all, can we read this together? One, two, ready, go. Three. Cool, cool. Thank you so much. I believe that sometimes there are people who can spend their entire lives as a part of a church community and still have not fully experienced a conversion of the heart. I believe that there are people who we see every week, perhaps you went to Christian school, you grew up in a Christian home, you, uh, you had all of the things that was in front of you, you live a very religious life, but I believe that there are some people that we know and we deem them to be Christians, but they've yet to have a true conversion of the spirit, of their heart, where God has transformed the heart. They've learned the behavior, they've learned the language, but they've yet to learn what relationship looks like. And we know that when we look out in the media and when you see a lot of the cruel things and bad and mean intentions that we see from people who consider themselves Christians, how many of you all have, have ever watched the news and media? You see things that have been done in the name of Christianity and in your mind, you're like, that is in no way a representation of the God I serve. You ever seen that? Things like, forgive my language, things like God hates facts. I'm like, who, what God are you talking about? Because it could not be my God that would ever use such language like that towards him and would never say that he hates any of his creation. When you look at when you look at scripture and you see who God is, what I know by looking at culture is that there are a lot of people who are religious, but there aren't a lot of people who have a relationship. When, when I read the story of Job, I, I have this impression. Now, in order for you to get some context about what we're talking about today, you have to go back to the very beginning of the story of Job. Let me, let me bring you up to speed if you're not familiar with the story of Job. This is what you'll find. It's, it's really kind of cool how it all works out. The book starts out by basically the writer giving us a brief bio from Job. We discover, the Bible says, it's G, um, God himself says about Job, that Job was a righteous man who revered God and he stayed away from evil things. He was a wealthy man with a large business. He had 10 children, seven sons, and three daughters. He had a wife. He had tons of servants. Like, this was a, a very, very good guy. Like, he was the epitome of what you thought a good, righteous human being looked like. He was, he was great. He was awesome. 
for me? I need to change? All right. Uh, time out, guys. Time out. That's, that's very inappropriate. Um, all right, time in. All right, so Job, Job, they give us this description of Job, that he's this righteous man, this just man, this wealthy man, but he's also a man who spends a significant amount of time in prayer. Not only in Old Testament times, they did not have the church as we have the church, and when it came to praying for forgiveness of sins, you sacrifice uh, for sin. So not only did Job go to sacrifice for his own sins, he also went and sacrificed regularly just in case his children were sinning. I love that. I love that. Any parent knows, man, you spend an enormous amount of time praying for your children. Job displayed all of these characteristics in his behavior. He was a righteous and a just man. But then, all of a sudden, God himself decides to have like a family dinner. And in the family dinner, the Bible tells us that when, when God is inviting the sons of God, all of a sudden, who comes and brings or breaks his way in but his troubled child? Satan himself comes. Now, some of that may mess with some of you guys' theology, but trust me that Satan is a creation. I'm not saying that God created him to be evil, but what I'm telling you that he is one of God's children. That, that may make you uncomfortable. We can talk about it at a later date. Uh, the sons of God comes, the troubled son, Satan comes, and God asks Satan, man, what are, you, what are you doing? He says, oh, you know, I've just been chilling out, hanging out, you know, walking all around the earth, trying to see who's like me. I want to see if you got anybody like me. I'm sure there's another kid like me out there. So I'm trying to find somebody to kick it with God. God says, well, um, have you considered my servant Job? He's, he's a righteous man. He's, he, he loves me. And, and, and Satan says to God, he says this, he says, well, the only reason that he is as righteous as you think he is is because you've blessed him. But the moment that you take his wealth, the moment that you take the things that make him feel secure, the moment that you remove your hedge from around him, I guarantee you he'll curse you to your very face. God says, bet, bet. Let's, let's see if it works out. He says, tell you what. Uh, do what you will, just don't touch the man. Well, Satan goes, man, and, and long story short, um, he, he, man, all, all of Job's wealth, all of his business, all of his animals that he depended upon, man, they were wiped out. Uh, not only his business, but also his children. All ten of his kids were wiped out by way of a tornado hitting the older brother's house as the children were gathered there for a party together. Um, Job, man, and, and just in a matter uh, of a couple of days or so, lost all of his livelihood and then lost all of his children. A man, it's such, a, such a, a, a depressing thing, and he's sitting there, and I love Job, Job's response. As he is weeping and lamenting the loss of everything that he holds dear, listen to the words of Job here. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Wow. Can you imagine the type of response from someone at a moment like that? I'm reminded when I read this, I'm reminded of 
a good friend of Matt and I's, actually the guy who, who connected Matt and I was a guy by the name of Jeff Stump. I talk about him all the time because he made such a tremendous impact on my life. And, and Jeff, Jeff, man, um, contracted cancer. Um, and in 13, no, 11 months, I'm sorry, it ran through his body and eventually took him away uh, December 31st, 2013. I remember, man, just feeling so heartbroken, 2014, I'm sorry, uh, about, about this experience with, with uh, Jeff and how it really just kind of broke me uh, losing him like that. But I remember, I remember me and my wife going to the hospital and visiting Jeff, and I remember these words that he spoke. As he's sitting in the hospital bed, his body weakened from the treatment, from chemo, and from everything that he was enduring. I remember him sitting up in the bed with a smile on his face and just saying, I just want to see God be glorified in the midst of my pain. How, how rare is it to see that? I think about Jeff when I read about Job, and Job basically says, in the midst of everything that I'm experiencing, my number one goal is to see God's name be praised. Therefore, what the enemy says is untrue, that if you take his livelihood, if you take his wealth, you take all those things that make him feel secure, Job says, my hope is in none of those things. My hope is ultimately in God. Well, well, here's what happens, man. Again, again, God is having a family dinner. He invites the sons of God to come, and who do you know shows up once again? His, his troubled boy. His troubled boy shows up to the family dinner, and he says, what you been doing? He says, Dad, I've been chilling. You know, I've been, I've been out on the block, you know, all over the earth trying to see who's like me. What's more, God says, maybe you didn't remember the last time. Have you considered my servant Job? He says, Job, Job, after all that you went, uh, he experienced lately, have you noticed that he never lost his integrity? That he kept himself together. He's still my servant. Satan says, ah, you know, I'm still not a believer. I, I, I believe this. I believe that the only reason why he's still in the position that he is is because you would not allow me to touch him. But if you allow me to touch him, to inflict him, I guarantee you he will curse you to your face. Well, the story goes on. God says, listen, um, yeah, uh, you, can, you, can, you can touch him, but leave his life alone. His life belongs to me. I, I'd love to share that at a later date, that your life belongs to God. Don't ever believe that the enemy has control and power over your life. We'll, we'll get to that at another date. But here's what happened. Here's what happens, man. The, 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 the enemy inflicts Job with an undescribable disease. So horrible. Can you imagine this? The Bible describes it as this. Job had sores on his body from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Uh, if you've ever, um, ever, you know, if you like um, you know, comics, you know, the Fantastic Four, yeah, he basically looked like things. He was, he, he was just hideous. And through all that, when we meet Job again, Job is lamenting, he's weeping in his sickness, and he is experiencing things and to the point where now even his wife approaches Job, and we see this in verse 9. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow. Can you imagine your confidant saying those words to you? Curse God and die. I asked myself that question, and then I remembered one essential truth that sometimes we speed past in this story. 
we attribute all the losses to Job. We look at Job and says, oh, Job lost his livelihood. Job lost his children. Job is sick. And we forget that Job is not a single man. That there was also a wife who participated in the business. There is a wife who gave birth to the children. And there is a wife watching her husband suffer. And so when we speed past the story and we read Mrs. Job's words that you should just curse God and die, what we forget is that she's in pain. And perhaps the pain that she's experiencing, maybe in her words, what she's not saying, basic sociology tells you this, is that there's always pain or story behind the behavior. And so what is happening here is this. When you look at what's going on in Job's life, she's just as impacted by it because she gave birth to all ten of those children, and she's been standing by her husband's side, and she loves him. They've been together evidently for years, and so she's speaking out of her own pain that when she's telling Job to curse God and die, I believe what she's really saying is, I want to die. And maybe, maybe if you just let go, I can let go too. Because the only reason that I'm still here is because of you. We speed past it, and, and, and she, she's Ellie. Job says, Mommy, well, you're talking foolishly. Foolishly, but, but, but God is still good. And, and, and I love that when you flash a little bit forward in the verses, chapter 14, Job says this line, man, that I, I, I pray. I pray that you read this entire, this entire book, but I believe this, this line here in, in chapter 14, verse 14, I really just epitomizes the, the spirit of what we should have when we're in uh, faced with trials of any kind. Job says this, all the days of my appointed time, I will wait until my change comes. Job says, no matter what I'm experiencing, no matter what I go through, for the time that I'm here, I'm going to get up every morning and I am going to wait until my change comes. He didn't say, if my change comes by chance, if something happens to work out in my favor. He says, I am going to wait until my change comes. God's looking for us to have an ethic like that that suggests it does not matter what I'm experiencing, it does not matter about the loss, I'm going to wake up every day believing that God is going to do exactly what God said he's going to do. As a church family, we, we built this into our values. We call it expected hope. Expected hope. Every day we wake up expecting God to do something. Last week, last week, we were, we were at this conference. Our denomination was here, and, and they were asking us about the church. Well, what are you doing about racial righteousness, racial reconciliation? Every day we wake up with expected hope, trusting that God is going to heal his church, heal his body, heal our people. We're going to wake up and believe that God is going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. I love the story of Job. I love it. And when you read it, you'll see. Essentially, it's just this, it's, it's, it's 42 chapters of this, this poetic discourse between Job, three of his friends, his wife is in there here and now again, and, and, and ultimately God. And it, it's beautiful. Um, I, I enjoy it. But there are some things in here that I think that we miss. That's been said about Job. I just mentioned it, and I completely agree with it. I can't disagree with Scripture. It says this. It says that Job went through this entire thing until its end, and he did so without sinning. That's true. However, if we hurry past the pain and try to speed up to the victory in chapter 42, 
what we'll discover is that sometimes in an effort just to get to the victory, us as humanity will speed past the moment. And in that, what happens is sometimes even though you don't sin, you can still miss God. Say that one more time. Sometimes even though you may not sin, you can still miss God. So that's why I believe that Whenever we are experiencing what we are experiencing and we are doing so with complete optimism, I believe that the prayer that we have of deliverance all the times isn't the appropriate prayer for every moment. Sometimes I believe rather than always praying for God to deliver us, what we should pray is, God, develop me. God, I I do want you to deliver me, but while I'm in the midst of what I'm experiencing Please, God, develop me so that I can then become what you want me to be. How many of you ever have found yourself in the same condition, position, time and time and time again? And you don't woke up and said, you know what, I can't believe I'm going through this again. Again, anybody ever said that? Anybody ever said that? Come on now, come on. Here's what I'll say to you. I'll suggest this. Rather than praying, God, deliver me from this, pray, how about God, you develop me in the midst of this? Because maybe what God is doing by taking you through that same thing over and over again is he's trying to teach you something, but you were so busy weeping in tears, posting on Facebook, making memes to share with other people, putting phone calls. Maybe you're doing all those things. And rather than praying and asking God, teach me the lesson that you want me to learn in the midst of this pain that I'm experiencing, God, before you deliver me how about you first develop me develop something in me that will change me forever that's what makes the story in judges i'm sorry in the book of daniel about the three hebrew boys so powerful i I love it i love it man as they were in the fiery furnace man you hear the boys say listen uh oh king nebuchadnezzar we're never going to bow down to you and your golden image Ah, and even if God does not deliver us, we still won't bow down. What what I believe they're saying in their heart is, God, we believe that you can, we believe that you will, but we're we're really more concerned about you developing hope and faithfulness in in our hearts rather than getting out of this situation. Dr. Oswald Chambers says it like this. He says, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. He says, there are some things only learn in a fiery furnace. There are some things that we will only grasp while we are in the thick of it. Here's what I believe also. I believe that um, sometimes in order to find out who you are, you first have to find out who you are not. Some things we just don't get. Uh, through our own words to somebody speaking to us. Sometimes you've got to be put in a predicament where you find out, like, this, I'm not built for this. This isn't my story. This isn't the type of relationship that I desire. This isn't the type of people that I want to be around. This, this isn't for me. Sometimes in order to find out who you are, you first have to find out who you are not. You have to take some blows. You have to experience some fire before you can truly find out who you were wired up and created to be. God, don't just deliver me, develop me. So like most of us, Job couldn't see, so, and probably one of my most favorite portions of scriptures, man, three chapters deep. I love this with all of my heart. God speaks, and I love it so much, I couldn't just find 
just a couple of pieces to share with you. So I, I, I had them put it in the message translation because I really want you to feel the heart of it. I want you to hear God speaking to Job in the midst of this. This lets us know that Job didn't get it based on what, what God said. He didn't sin, but he missed God. Job 38, we're going to walk through just 18 verses. I'm sorry that it's long, but you're going to love it. I promise you will. I promise you will. Job 38, listen, listen to these words. Listen to them. As a matter of fact, don't give me a blank screen, Adrian. I'm sorry. Give me a blank screen. I don't want you, I don't want you to read it. Fix your eyes on me and, and listen. Listen to God speak to his righteous religious child. Listen to him. And now, finally, God answered Job from the eye of a violent storm. And he said, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Listen to God. Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet. Stand tall. I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. I love the NIV says it more like this. He says, brace yourself like a man. I'm going to ask you some questions to see if you can give me an answer. I love it. That's my God. My God, you know, he kind of spanks me. I, I like when he talks, talks crazy to me because I'm hard-headed. So he's got to talk to me like he's talking to Joe. But listen, listen to the rest of these words. Listen to these questions. Cold-blooded. He says, um, where were you when I created the earth? <laughs> Tell me, since you know so much, who decided on its size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How was its foundation poured? And who set the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in chorus and the angels shouted praise, God says, when I created the heavens and the earth, I had a choir of angels behind me. Were you there when I did all of those great things? He says, and who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds and tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it, a strong playpen so it couldn't run loose, and said, stay here. This is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. Here's what God said. When I created the ocean, I gave it a bed for it to lay in, and when it wanted to come further, I said, mm -mm -mm, you're my creation, you're my child, stay there. The reason why we have beaches, the reason why we can enjoy the water is because God said, you'll sit still. I, I've been to school. I've heard all of the arguments concerning creationism versus Darwinism. I get all of those things. I choose to believe God. God says, I, I, told, I told the waters to stay. So there was purpose behind this. And have you ever ordered morning? <laughs> get up. And told Don, get to work so you could seize earth like a blanket and shake out the wicked like cockroaches. God says, I commanded light so that I could make sure that evil could be solved. I'll shake it out. Some of y'all don't know that because y'all grew up privileged. And, and this, this, isn't, this isn't a vanilla chocolate thing. Some of y'all just, you know, y'all came up, you know, kind of good. And you, you don't know about when you cut on the lights in, in the projects and the roaches scatter. Y'all know nothing about that, right? Yeah, <laughs> y'all have never seen that. Y'all see, watch Joe's apartment. Watch Joe's apartment. You'll see, you'll see what we're talking about. Yeah, hold on, call, anybody seen Joe's apartment? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go, there you go, there you go. All right, all right. Getting back to the message, get back to the message. As the sun brings everything to light, brings out all the colors and shapes, the cover of darkness is snatched from the wicked. They are caught in the very act 
finally says this, just in these 18 verses. Have you ever gotten to the true bottom of things, explored the labyrinth and caves of the deep ocean? Do you know the first thing about death? Do you have one clue regarding death's dark mysteries? And do you have any idea how large the earth is? Speak up if you have even the beginning of an answer. That's nasty. God, God says, straighten yourself up like a man since you're so smart. Since you know what you're talking about, answer these questions. What do you do when God asks you, where were you when I created the earth? <laughs> exactly. It reminds me, it reminds me as a kid, maybe some of you all come from, this is like a southern thing, by the way. Uh, uh, when, when you was a kid, especially a teenager, you start to feeling yourself or, as they used to say, smelling yourself a little bit. And, um, and your mom would ask you this question. It is the most perplexing question I've ever heard in my life. It's simply this. Who do you think you are? You ever been asked that question? I've been asked it a whole lot, a whole lot. And, and, and I remember as a teenager actually thinking, I finally have an answer. So my mom says, who do you think you are? I'm like, oh, I got it. Jamel. Um, I recognize I was wrong because I got off the floor. That's, that's not... That's not the right answer to the question, by the way. That's not, you don't answer that question that way. That, never, never say that. Never, never answer that way, right? It's, it's not a good answer. There's no, there's no way you can answer that question. And in the same way, there's no way to answer God's question because God was not looking for an answer. God was proving a point. But here's what I want you to know. The point that God was making was not to antagonize Job for Job uh, continuously feel himself or feel like he's in a position where he has no answers. God was not just questioning Job so that Job could feel shamed on top of his pain. This isn't what God was doing. God was giving Job a clearer picture of himself. And after God, after Job lost his livelihood, his children, and his health, Trust me, the last thing that God's going to do is place and lay a shame on top of that. I say that intentionally because I want you to know, whomever you are, that whatever you are experiencing, when you're at a low point, and you know how it seems like the old sayings is that when it rains, it pours. Trust me, when it's pouring, it is not God trying to make you feel lower. God does not want to make you feel lower. He wants you to feel loved. And he never places pain on top of pain for you to feel that way. And the enemy does a great trick at that, that God will apply more pressure. But this is oftentimes the, the issue with the interpretation of the God in the Old Testament. We believe that the God in the Old Testament is a mean God. We view the Old Testament God as this mean old man with a white beard who's sitting on a throne placing judgment on all of humanity. That is not the God of the Bible at all. God is the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. The same God in the Old Testament lives in the New Testament. So when God is speaking to Job in the midst of the situation, what he is not doing is shaming or being mean to Job so that Job could feel worse throughout all of his pain. Here's what I believe that God is doing to Job and showing God, showing Job, he's not shaming him. God never shames us, he humbles us. And he felt like he had to humble Job a little bit so that Job could then listen to the character of God and know 
who God is. So could it be that when God says, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth, God heard Job's complaint about the pain. And the pain in his life seems so great, he's wondering where God is. He's wondering how much power God has in the midst of his situation. And so God says, you think that the loss of your livelihood, the loss of your children, the sickness in your body is a big deal. But I'm trying to tell you I'm a big God. And I created all things. So when you think about your livelihood, which primarily consisted of animals, right, and all of your service, what God wants to know is, yeah, yeah, you lost sheep, you lost camels, you lost donkeys. God says, listen, I taught the lioness how to feed her cubs. I gave the horses their fearlessness. God, I taught the animals how to do what they do. So the only reason that they are making income for you is not only did I create them, but I also gave them the temperament and the behavior to live as they do so that it benefits you. You're worried about that. I'm trying to tell you, not only can I create them, I can call them and I can show them what to do. He says, he says, um, you, you're worried about, you're worried about your sickness. And you're worried about your children? He says, I created the heavens and the earth. And I know that the loss is great. I know that it is paining you what you're experiencing. But God says, I created the heavens and the earth. I created your children. I know you feel like they're yours, but they belong to me. It says, I created them. They're not gone. They're with me. I created all these things. You're worried about the sickness on your body. Well, I am God. And for three chapters, he gives a great description of his power and his majesty so that Job will know whatever you are experiencing, when you compare it to me, comparison doesn't exist. I am bigger than all these things. And I feel like there's somebody in here today who needs to know that. I feel like there's somebody today when you turn on the news and you see the chaos in the world, you think that those things are bigger than God. But God says, where were you? And I created the heavens and the earth. I feel like when we experience loss and when we suffer from temptation, we think that those things can overcome and overpower us and that they're greater than God. God says, listen, I have been there from the very beginning. Whatever is overwhelming you, it's under my feet. Where were you when I did these things? And here's where it's consistent with the New Testament. It is the very same thing that Jesus says when Jesus says this. In this life, you will have troubles. But take care because I have overcome the world. Everything that you are experiencing, God says, it is under my feet. It is not greater than me. It is not more powerful than me because I am God. So God, God wants you to know that through all these years serving, sometimes we can be so religious that we can miss the relationship. And God is not the God that we're reading about here for no reason whatsoever. Because here's what's true. All of these attributes that we subscribe to God, if there were no you and I, they would have no meaning. Which means this. His power, his might, his majesty, his creation, he did so with you in mind. And so... Job sits, and for three chapters, he, he pulls himself up like a man, and he has a seat, and he listens to God explain, until finally in 42, Job replied, and he says this to the Lord, I know that you can do all things, 
and the no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I've been talking about things that I did not understand. Job says, I have been known to be a righteous man all of my days. I go to church every Sunday. I pray for my wife. I pray for my children. I pay my tithes. I serve in a number of ministries. I've been doing all of these things, but I've been just acting out of behavior that I've learned. Surely I've been doing and talking about things that I have no idea of. But now that I see you with my own eyes, Job says, now that I see you for just who you are, now that I see that you are greater than my issues, now that I see that you're greater than my pain, now that I see that you're greater than my loss, you're greater than my blessings, you're greater than my suffering, now that I see you for who you are, I repent. And he covers himself with dust and ashes. He recognizes that he is no one compared to the greatness and the goodness and the might and majesty of God. Job said, I've been a good religious man. I've learned all the behaviors, but now that I've experienced him for myself, I know that there is absolutely nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Not this sickness in my body, not the loss in my finances, not the suffering of the loss of my children, not the craziness I'm experiencing from my wife. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. God, you are great. And God, I repent. When you make contact with God, it transforms your outlook. And this is a consistent story throughout Scripture. Can I give you a couple of examples and I'll take my seat? We, we read about in Genesis, Abraham. Abraham, whom we know as the father of faith. But Abraham, before he met God, was a, was a, was a stargazing nomad. And he met God. He had contact. And now we know him as the father of faith because he was impacted by his connection to God. Moses went from a prince to a murderer to a shepherd to a leader of the Hebrew people. He made contact and his life was transformed forever. Gideon was a coward and went to a conqueror. Matthew went from a thief to a disciple. Peter was disgraced. Disciple became a restorative prophet. And Saul went from a massacring, uh, uh, a thief murdering, uh, 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 I don't even know the word to describe him, <laughs> to a great missionary for the kingdom of God. And you, brothers and sisters, whatever description the world has applied to you, whatever and however people look at you, your description can be changed when you meet him. God hates nothing, especially his creation. He hates sin, but he loves you. And when you experience pain, the contact that God makes is not to further apply pressure. That's why we ought never simply pray, God, deliver me. But God, please develop me. Because I want to be, I want to be the very thing that you created me to be. I, I want to move from a thief 
to a disciple. I want to move from a one who commits massacre against your church to a missionary God. I, I want to move from one who is a wandering nomad with no hope and purpose to one who follows faith faithfully. I want to be one who moves from a coward to a conqueror God. I want my description to change and your description can only change when you submit yourself to the power of God. So when you read scripture, and you think that God is condemning you by what he says about himself, know that that's there not to condemn you. It is there to encourage you. Because whatever God is, God is that for you. He's love for you. He's creator for you. He's faithful for you. He's all-powerful for you. He's healer for you. He's sustainer for you. For you, all of these things are God. And he'll be that yesterday, today, and forevermore. Pray with me.